ask you to pray for me. This, uh, after I preach today, I'm, I'm driving to uh, Texas eventually, getting there. Uh, I'll be on a study leave for the next couple of weeks, working uh, and finishing up my Proverbs pilot project that we just did a few weeks ago and writing and finishing up, Lord willing, that dissertation of sorts and planning the preaching calendar for the next year. Um, my family, random family in Texas, sort of, and family definitely in Memphis on my side, and so the kids will be um, playing with the grandparents to some extent or something like that. So this should be fun. So please pray for me while I'm gone. But I am not gone yet, and I'm excited about preaching today in Second Peter. I hope you are as well. Let's turn to Second Peter. It's our second week in Second Peter. This is Peter writing to a church that has been infiltrated with false teachers who deny the return of Christ and future judgment, and they're living lives of sexual morality and greed, and they're unfruitful in their knowledge of God. And what Peter's doing, he's writing to exhort this church and these believers not to fall into the, the trap or to be unfruitful in their knowledge of God. Now, last week, um, we saw that we have all the resources necessary to live a godly and fruitful life. But this week, we are going to uh, exhort you and me and one another and stir us up to effort to work hard at godly living. So let's all stand, and I'm going to read the passage together. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. You may be seated. In a, a little book called The Dip, Seth Godin describes how everything worth doing is going to hit hard times, which is called The Dip. The issue on how you respond during the hard times of The Tip determines your success in a particular area. So let, let's, let's think about this, all right? Weight lifting or weight training. I mean, I'm sure a significant portion of you have 
at one time or another decided that you wanted to lift weights. Maybe that was for exercise or to look really big like me. I'm just kidding. I don't look like... So I don't know. Whatever reason, you've decided that you want to lift weights. Now, generally, after a few days, it got hard, right? And when the dip happened, what determines whether you make it through is whether you stick it out and work hard, which, uh, unfortunately... Most of us don't, but those who continue to lift weights make it through the dip and, and they push to the hard times. Or, or take, for example, playing the piano. Maybe you got excited about playing the piano at one time. I, I was in college. I took a piano class in college as an elective. I was really excited, and I was pumped about playing the piano. I've always wanted to do it my whole life, and so I started to play during this class, but I, I hit the dip, and in that dip, I was like, wow, I, I just... I cannot push through. And so what would separate me from, from many of you who play the piano, of course, would be talent. I get that, all right? But at the same time, you likely pushed through the hard times and the dip, and you made it out on the other side, and through many years of training, you sound awesome, all right? But the reality is, is that in our spiritual lives and in our walk with the Lord Jesus, there are times that we, we hit this dip where things just... They're just hard. I, even, you know, P- Peter's church, they have this dip of dealing with persecution, dealing with false teachers, and they would probably say, we're in this, this is a hard time. And, and you may know that in your life where it's just hard to pray, it's hard to love other people, you find it hard to read your Bibles, you find it hard to obey, you, you find yourself in the dip. Now, I, and I, I don't want to sound um, heretical here, but I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to go ahead and sound heretical a little bit to you. What is needed during those times of the dip is it's hard work. It, you need to exert effort. I know we don't like to talk about that in the Christian life, but the Christian life is hard. And if you're going to make it through not just times of the dip, but guess what? Most of the Christian life is hard. You can say, well, this, the whole Christian life is one big dip. It, it's hard. It's difficult. There, there is struggles. And what is needed is effort. And hard work. And I know you can't believe that because you somehow think that hard work is totally opposed to grace. Like, no, we're all about grace, man. We're all about free grace that he's lavished on us. And so if he's given us grace, we don't need to work hard. No, 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 no. No, because you have been given grace. You work hard. You don't work hard to get God's love. Now, some of you are doing that. Stop doing that. You already you already have God's love. Now work hard. It was very intentional for us to sing this song, How He Loves Us, before we talk about this text. Because this text says, yeah, He loves us. And because He does, we work hard at the Christian life to exhibit fruit. And so I want you to understand that, that works and grace are not smacking at each other here, okay? But from grace can come works. As, as a commentator and scholar Thomas Schreiner has said, he put it this way. He says, grace precedes demand. You, you get that? This, this guy here has taught me more about this subject to understand how grace and works go together. We are saved by grace alone, but that grace will produce works. But the works are not what saves us. It's the grace. But because we have the grace now, we work, and we work hard, and we bear fruit in the Christian life. And that's what we're going to look at today. In 2 Peter, that's what he wants for his church. That's what he wants for us. That's what God wants for us. So let's look and jump in at verse 5. Remember verses 1 through 4 said that we got all the resources now. 
Remember last week, if you were here last week, we, we have all the resources for godly living. We have the grace, the faith, the gospel power, and the promises of God. But now we're jumping into verse 5. Look at it again. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So since you have all the resources for a fruitful life, look at it. It says, for this very reason, make every effort. Use all the effort that you have by the power of God and his grace to live a fruitful life. Growth in the Christian life is not just going to happen. You don't just get saved and bam! It takes grace-generated effort. And if you are, 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 have a little bit of blips of growth in your life or not much growth at all, it's because you're probably not putting much effort into your Christian walk with the Lord. There's no grace-generated, spirit-filled effort. You're just hoping it's going to be automatic. And, and that's not the case. So he says, make every effort. And, and what, what he's going to do here is give us this list of virtues and I want to put this, this image up for you. It's going to be a lift of virtues in ascending staircase form. We're going to be hitting faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And that's where we're going. And, and, but don't, it's very appropriate that it begins with faith, the foundation where we start, and ends with the ultimate love. But, but I don't want you to think that these traits have to be pursued in order. Like you have to think, well, you know what? Before I start loving people, I need to get self-control. <laughs> no, it, it's like you pursue all of them at all the time, but, but we can see that these are singled out for emphasis, and we're going to try to explain why they are in this sequence. So let's begin back in verse 5 with faith. So supplement your faith with virtue. And faith is that gift. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been given this gift to trust and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now that we have this foundation of faith, we're to step up. That means we're to add to our faith. And the word that is used here is the word supplement. Now the word supplement, if you see it there in verse 5, the word supplement is used in a variety of ways in Greek culture. And one of the ways that it was used was talking about rich people, rich citizens, investing their money in a theatrical performance. So, for example, let's say you have a lot of money. You go and you see some small play one night in downtown Chicago, and you say, this play should be huge. I'm so excited about this play. I'm going to invest millions of dollars to make this a huge play where everybody can come and see it. And so the idea here is that we're excited about our relationship with Jesus. We're excited that he has reconciled us to the Father. And since that's the case, we're going to supplement. We're going to add to our faith everything we can possibly add so that we can grow and we can be fruitful. And and the first thing he has here, he says, so add to your faith or supplement your faith, look at it, supplement your faith with virtue. That's not a word you use all the time. Virtue. It was was referenced earlier, if you were here last week, in verse 3, and it speaks, it's the same word as excellence. You see it there in verse 3 as Jesus has called us to his own glory and excellence. We're drawn to the moral perfect excellence of Jesus. And now we're to exhibit this moral perfect, not perfect in our lives, but in his life, excellence and imitation of him. So it's, it's talking about good works. So let, let's try to get the sequence here, okay? It talks about, okay, we have the foundation of faith, so we step up with virtue or this excellence, which is talking about good works, which is another way of saying is that if you're a believer, you have faith in Jesus, you will exert 
good works. You want to add to your faith, good works. You want to obey the commands of God. So that's kind of the logic of the sequence is that we, we supplement and we add action to our faith if we're going to be fruitful. This is a no-brainer, okay? This is very simple stuff. Keep going. Keep moving up the stairs, verse 5. It says, and supplement your virtue with knowledge. So if faith is a foundation, we step up, good works, the virtue, and now we step up again to knowledge. And the knowledge that it's talking about here is the knowledge in the will of God. We can know God's will through knowing his word. We can know God's will by knowing how he wants us to act in specific situations. This is another way of saying wisdom. We just studied the book of Proverbs for about six weeks. We'll hit it again in the fall. But we need wisdom. We, have, we need the knowledge of God to know, not just to have faith, not just to do good works, but we need our faith enhanced with good works to hit with precision. I'm going to say that again. We need our faith enhanced with good works to hit with precision, which means we need the knowledge of God in the details, the specific wisdom that he would have us to act in the details of our lives. And you may wonder, why, why do we study the book of Proverbs? It's because we want that precision. We want that detailed obedience that he has for us in, in the small little things in our lives and everyday occurrences that happen no matter what they are. And so that's why we want to supplement not just our faith with good works, but we want these good works to, to, to hone in, to be, be precise, to be where he wants us to act at just the right time. We need that wisdom. Well, let, let's, let's keep going up this staircase in verse 6. And, and supplement your knowledge with self-control. So if we have God's will, okay, check it out. We've got faith as a foundation. We step up good works. We have the knowledge of God, which is the precision, but that's also going to lead to self-control. That's, that's where the Spirit of God in our lives starts to control us in specific situations to say no to sinful impulses. And this is totally opposite of the false teachers. The false teachers are saying, look, let's indulge in sexual immorality. The false teachers are saying, no, let's indulge and make as much money as possible because now that Jesus Christ has released us from the law, we have this freedom. And now we have this freedom, we can do whatever we want. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. If you're free in Jesus Christ, that means you are free not to sin. You are now free not to be in bondage. We tend to think that we will be free if we indulge in sin because it just makes us happy, it just makes us given with our impulses. No, that's not freedom, that's bondage. But true freedom in Jesus Christ is when you exhibit self-control. It's when you say no to just one more. It's when you choose to turn your eyes rather than to lust. That's self-control. It's self-control when you choose to be wise with your money. It's self-control by the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, is exhibited in so many different ways where you control these sinful impulses and urges by His grace, and you're living in the freedom of God. And when you do, you're bearing fruit. Let's keep going. We'll keep going up the stairs. Verse 6. And supplement your self-control with steadfastness. So a self-control is intact and moves along. Some of you have a hard time to believe this, but whatever you're struggling with, 
if you start dealing with it right now, exhibiting hard work, grace-generated hard work, the things that you're struggling with now in 20 years, let me tell you this, in 20 years, guess what? You'll still struggle with them. But, but, self-control is going to come a lot easier. Does it mean there's not going to be a fight and a war and all that? But if you start working on your issues now, whatever age you are, 20 years from now, it's going to come a little bit easier. Because what's going to happen, you're going to start developing something called perseverance and steadfastness that no matter what starts to happen, no matter what's thrown at you, you'll say, you know what? I said no to that when I was 19. And then I said no at 25 and no at 30. And so here I'm at 40 and it's coming up again. I feel the temptation. But you know what? Perseverance, self-control, steadfastness. But the problem is, if you don't deal with your issues now, if you don't deal with your sin now, you know what's going to happen 20 years from now? It's going to come that much more easier. And maybe you're going to learn how to be more professional and how to hide things and how to be more discreet. But if you don't start working on this stuff now, it's going to be totally out of control 20 years from now. And so you've got to kind of determine what you want to do. Do you want to put the effort in now for this long-term freedom, or do you want to say, I want short-term pleasure? I'm just telling you, 20 years from now, you think you struggle now, and you don't deal with it now. This is going to be a mess. This is going to be a mess. Foundation faith. Add to it virtue, good works. Get precision in the knowledge of God. And with that comes self-control and then that steadfastness continue to go up. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And supplement your steadfastness with godliness. Uh, we spent a lot of time last week talking about godliness, how we have everything that we need for godliness. And I'm trying to understand, why is godliness coming on top of perseverance? And, and I think the connection is in the sequence. Listen to me here. The connection in the sequence is that as we persevere and follow Jesus throughout our lives, it's not a, a grin and bear it perseverance. It's actually a perseverance where we're trusting in him and growing in godliness. Because you can see people that you know, maybe it's you, who are in tough situations, and you're pressing through those situations, but not in a very godly way. Have you ever seen a a marriage that's not going very good? And and you see the husband, he's like, you know what, I'm a Christian man, I serve in my church, I can't stand my wife, she is so mean to me, an evil woman, but I'm going to persevere in this marriage. And the way I'm going to persevere is I'm going to have my life filled with diversions. And being a Christian man, I know I'm not supposed to look at pornography, and I know I'm not supposed to gamble. So my diversion is I'm going to be consumed with sports. I'm going to have ESPN on as much as I possibly can have it on, and I will stay in this messed up marriage, and I'll serve in my church, and I'll be a good Christian man, but I'm going to have this diversion. That's not steadfastness with godliness. That's you just putting up with something by finding something else to invest your time in. And I want to make sure that, that, that you don't do that, that you have these tough situations. And I don't deny that they're not tough, that you need to persevere and steadfast. But don't create diversions 
to make it through. Whatever it is, there's so many things we can just become consumed with and caught up with because we're suffering. And I, and I get the suffering part, but steadfastness is to come with godliness, not with diversions of this world. You've got to be careful here. I mean, you should be, be aware of what's going on in your heart. You may look like a good Christian on the outside, but how are you actually persevering? Is it because you're just moved on to some other diversion? Be careful of that. We want perseverance with godliness. Keep going up the mountain. Verse 7. And supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. This is interesting. So all these traits are going to affect the way we treat others. Don't you just wish the Christian life could just be about you and God and growing in godliness and not to mess with other people because other people just really are annoying and they kind of get in the way? Yeah, yeah, everybody's pretty much annoying in some way because they, they infringe upon what you want to do. But here it's talking about this brotherly affection, that if we walk with God, we're going to love him and love our brothers. And if we're saved, it means we've been impacted by the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying, look, I loved you a sinner. Now you're going to love your brothers and sisters. And so what we're trying to do at this church is creating an environment and believe me, it's not perfect, but create an environment where we love our brothers and sisters and we endure and we put up with each other. I put up with you. You put up with me. You know I have issues. I know you have issues. I'm going to love you. You're going to love me. It's not going to be perfect, but we're going to show this brotherly affection and care and concern for one another. And, and as we care for one another, it, it's one of, the, it's one of the, the main ways we show the world that we're believers, like, why would anybody want to convert to this gospel if we're just sniping at one another? No. People convert to this gospel because they see the way we love. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. And then the last step on the staircase at the peak is verse 7. And supplement your brotherly affection with love. So we began with faith, and we finished up at the height of love. Colossians 3.14 says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But the greatest of these is love. So love just kind of captures it all and holds it all together. And you kind of want to go, well, what's the difference between brotherly affection and love? Well, I think the brotherly affection part was just kind of how we love each other and this love spoken of here is the, the agape love. Maybe you've heard that before. It's the agape love that we express toward each other and to the whole world. It's this sacrificial love where we put others first and we seek their benefit. We planted a church in, in Rogers Park, uh, like I said, back in February. And the church plant is, the church is called agape. And they're really trying to emphasize God's love in, in a place that is very, very difficult. I was out with our church planner on Thursday, and we were on the streets sharing the gospel, and it is just amazing to me the amount of people that we interact with who have some major issues in their lives, and several of them have never heard the gospel. You think, are, are we living in another country where the gospel's not available? We, met, we talked to a guy this past Thursday. Have you ever heard the gospel of Jesus? Have you ever heard the good news of God's love? And he said, no. We're like, dude, you're older than me. 
How is it possible? Are you just making this up? Are you lying to me? No. Not, not even in, it's like no church affiliate, didn't go to church, and nothing. And, and like, we're sharing the love of God with him in the gospel. And the dude's just listening. Can you imagine hearing the gospel for the first time? Can you imagine that? That's the kind of love that we're to express for others, the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's agape love. We express that love to others. So we've gone up the stairs here. Now what follows, starting in verse 8, if you've not been listening, you'll really want to listen now because there are some theological issues from verse 8 on that you may have never heard before or you're like, whoa, what are those doing in the Bible? Or I don't understand those issues. There's some serious theological issues here. So get your theological radar up. This is going to be some pretty deep stuff. So start with verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So we don't want to be those who are ineffective or unfruitful. Because he is saying that those without these qualities are ineffective and unfruitful. So let's put the staircase back up. Let's, let's imagine this. So this is who he's talking about. If you're ineffective and unfruitful, this is, that means you have no love. You have, you're stepping down. You have no brotherly affection, no godliness, no steadfastness, no self-control, no knowledge, no virtue, and ultimately no faith. Ineffective, unfruitful. And that description would be the false teachers. But Peter's like, don't be like the false teachers. I want you ascending. I want, if you see in the verse there, it says, I want these qualities increasing. You see that word increasing in verse 8? I want these increasing in your life so that you can be productive and fruitful. Move to verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So these false teachers, they don't have that. They don't have the ascending. They don't have the increasing fruitfulness. And he says, well, they're nearsighted and blind. Now, I don't know much about eyes, but I don't know how both of those go together. (laughs) Nearsighted and blind. I think the idea is more like that these false teachers have chosen to shut their eyes. Or another way you could say it is, is that they have chosen to be short-sighted. They're only looking at that which is close and not which is far away, which means they have, they're not reflecting backwards. They're not reflecting back on, on, on what is supposed to have happened to them. They have forgotten the gospel. Look at the verse again, verse 9. It says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So in Jesus is forgiveness of our sins, and what, what do we have? The outward sign of that is baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It just shows what has happened to you spiritually. It's a, it's a cleansing. It's what we're saying. It's a depiction of, of this ritual cleansing. But these false teachers who were probably baptized, probably proclaimed that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are exhibiting no fruit of the cleansed life. And when you do not exhibit fruit that shows that you've been saved or that you are, your profession 
matches your walk, matches your profession, then, then we, we can see from the Bible that they're, they're clearly were not cleansed in the first place. And so what Peter is doing, he's warning his church, do not follow after these false teachers. They may have stayed up, stood up in front of church, professed Jesus Christ. They may have walked an aisle, signed a card, been up in the baptismal, gone under, come back up, proclaimed that they were a believer in Jesus Christ. But he's saying, there's just no fruit there. There's no fruit there. They're acting like none of that stuff ever happened. And he's saying, church, do not, do not follow them. And then the next verse is really going to hit hard. Look at it. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, before I go on, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this. I know we come from different theological backgrounds from all over the world, but I'm going to tell you what I believe I think the Bible's saying, okay? And I, I don't know how you understand it, but however you understand it, God calls and elects people to salvation by his sovereign choice. Now, I don't know how you understand election, uh, a calling. We may come from different spots, uh, but I believe by God's sovereign choice, he calls and elects people to himself. It's a mystery that happens in God, in the will of God, and I don't understand all the mystery, but I do know this. The command here is for you to confirm and validate your calling. Peter is saying, look, I want you in your life to confirm and validate that you are saved. If I went up to you and I say, how do you know you are saved? And you would say to me, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. That's the right answer. Yes, that's part of the right answer, right? But Peter is saying, there's a way that you can validate and confirm to yourself, and I, and I guess to others, that you are saved. And he wants you to confirm and validate your salvation. And how do you do that? Oh, look at verse 10 again. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So by practicing the qualities we've seen here this morning and these virtues, we have confirmation that we are true Christians called and elected by God. I want to be very clear. You do not practice these virtues because you're trying to gain your salvation. You practice these virtues because that you are already saved. And as you practice these virtues, it will confirm and validate to your mind and to your heart that you are saved. If you are here this morning and you are struggling as a Christian and you're trying to fight through, be encouraged. That's good. You, that's exhibiting fruit. You're trying to not fall back into sin. But if you're here this morning and you're not struggling, you're all out in sin. You don't care any, the way you're living. And yet you say that you profess Christ because you did it when you were six or seven, but there's no fruit. I would not offer you any assurance of your salvation. I, I wouldn't. I can't as a pastor say, okay, you're living a life of complete sin and you don't care. I don't care that you say you put your faith in Christ. Complete sin and you do not care. I have no assurance that you're saved and you shouldn't either. 
Peter's saying, look, I want you to make your calling and election sure. I want you to validate it to yourself. Yes, you have faith, but do you exhibit fruit of the Spirit? Is there any sign that the Spirit of God lives in you? If not, I know we act like this is the worst thing. If not, you should even ask yourself, am I a Christian? Period. I have no problem with everyone in here asking themselves that question. That's not a bad question. But no, don't ask it every day and don't freak out and things like that. But it's okay to say, am I a Christian? Okay, I put my faith in Christ alone. I'm exhibiting fruit. I confirm and validate that I am saved. Then there's some confirmation that brings these guarantees on to front. Did you see it again? Look again at verse 10. It says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That means you'll never fall away from the Lord. So if you're growing in self-control and godliness and love, then you will not fall away from the Lord. You'll struggle. Boy, you will struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. But we won't ultimately fall away as in no salvation and no heaven. And check it out. This validation and confirmation in God's calling also leads to heaven. Verse 11. For in this way, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's talking about an entrance into heaven. Those who are called and elected by God will for sure go to heaven. No one has ever lost their salvation. If God has called and elected you to salvation, you will be saved for sure, 100%. No one loses their salvation. Those who God has elected will go to heaven. But get this. It's your personal assurance, and it's your guarantee of heaven that is confirmed to you and even confirmed to others when these virtues are evident in your life. So if God has called you to salvation, you will be saved. If you are truly saved, then you will bear fruit, and which will validate and confirm your election. Now, once again, I mentioned that Thomas Schreiner has helped me on these issues more than any other. I read this book many years ago before I came to this church called The Race Set Before Us, and it has been the best book. It's kind of technical at points, but it's so good on what does it mean for Christians to persevere? Because does that mean we we do good works to get saved? Or what does that look like? And so he is so precise in his description of putting this all together. And so I'm going to give you one last quote by him. He says, God's grace, God's grace should not lead to moral relaxation, but to intense effort. This is not salvation by works, but salvation with works. Not salvation by works, but with works. Grace proceeds to man. Now, the kind of language that Peter is using here throughout this passage is not meant to cause doubt among believers. So if you're a true believer here exhibiting fruit, he's not trying to cause doubt among you. But he's trying to encourage the believers to keep these virtues growing in their life. Let's just finish up the passage, verse 12. Pay attention to the word remind. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Jesus told him in the book of John he was going to die. Verse 15, And I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able 
at any time to recall these things. Did you catch that? He says, he goes, I see fruit in you. It's awesome. You're a fruitful bunch. But, but let me just remind you to keep going. In fact, after I'm dead, I want my writings to still encourage you and to remind you to bear fruit. My brothers and sisters, this is the way we remind one another to bear fruit. This is the way we remind one another of God's promises. This is the way we remind one another of God's love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not... Many of you are, are, are not going to be in this church for the rest of your life. Many of you are going to move on from here, maybe after today, from years from now. But look, I don't care what church you end up in. And I don't care of how much you know of the Word of God. But please, continue to use the Word to remind you of gospel truth. In, in no way, shape, or form am I really always ever telling you new truths You're not really showing up here on Sunday morning because you're ready to hear something new. I'm reminding you of old truths from the Word of God as a way of reminder to stir you up so that you can grow. So do not ever set the Word of God aside. I don't care how much you know it. You've got to keep bringing it before you daily to remind you. Bring it before you in your small groups to remind you. Bring it before you on Sunday morning to remind you of the truth. That's what Peter's doing. I see fruit in you, but let me keep on reminding you. Let me keep bringing it up to you. Never set it aside because we want to grow. And so since you want to grow because you're a believer, we all do, where do you need to grow? What area in your life right now do you need to focus on to grow? Let's put the the graph up one more time. Where? They're all to be incorporated into all of our lives all the time. But from time to time, it's okay to pick one, hone in. Where do you need to grow? So I'm, I'm going to show you how this works. Pick one. Let's say, let's just take self-control, okay? Because most of us struggle with self-control. All right, you can put that down. So if we have self-control, and we have a problem of controlling our sinful urges and desires. So if you want to work on self-control, you have all the resources we talked about last week. There are people in this church that will surround you with any issue. You can come up to me and say, man, I have this issue. It's, 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 it's crazy. I guarantee you we will surround you with people and help you. We will give you resources. We will give you people who will love you and walk you through that. If you want to work on it, if you are serious. If you're not serious, don't, don't, come, don't come to me. But if you're serious about wanting to work on self-control in your life, we will surround you with people. We will give you resources. We will encourage you with the godly resources of faith and prayer and grace. But get this. I want to make sure that you as a Christian don't think that since you're going to work on self-control, that means it's going to be all about you. Because the problem of self-control issues is because it is all about you, right? The reason why you can't control urges is because it's just about you. And that's why I believe that if you want to grow in godliness like self-control, you have to also include on top of that, get this, love. That means that you not only work on your issue of self-control, but as you work on it, you step out and serve and love other people. 
And when you start loving other people, guess what? You're not going to think about yourself as much. Part of your growth and self-control is learning how to focus not on yourself but on others and loving other people. And if you may wonder, well, is anybody out there I can focus on? Is there anybody out there I can serve? There's always people for you to serve. There's always people that need to come to the Lord. There's always people that need to be discipled. There's always people that are suffering that need someone to invest in them, to mentor them. There's always someone else you can serve in your life. So if you're going to work on this issue of self-control, it's not just you and God and a few other accountability partners. It's you, God, a few other accountability partners, and people that you're going to serve. But it's going to be hard work. Grace-generated hard work and effort Not your own power, not your own strength, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You work hard at your job, you work hard at your school, you work hard at your house. This church is full of hard workers. But if you want to grow spiritually, maybe you need to put some of those, you know, cut some time from those other areas so you can start to hone in and deal with certain issue so you can grow. Because that's what God wants. He wants us growing and fruitful. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters to begin so impacted by the gospel of your love, so impacted by grace, that today is the day that they'll want to step up and say, I'm tired of it, I'm done with it, I want to deal with this today. And it may feel impossible to them. They may have done it 200 times before. But Lord, I just ask today they would step forward and cry out for help and have people surround them and love them and encourage them and walk them through different issues. And we all have things we need to struggle with, Lord, and so we want to grow We get so impatient with other people. We get so annoyed by other people. We're irritated. Lord, forgive us and help us to grow in loving them. We have such issues in our lives where we can't control our own sin. Lord, we want to grow. Please forgive us. Enable us to grow. And as we come to this time of communion and the Lord's table and forgiveness and grace and power, we see Jesus. We see forgiveness for our sins. And we see power and strength to grow in him and more like him. Do a significant work in the time that we have left this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.